So we're on episode 17, and we have a very, very special guest. And let me see my pronunciation, Wolfgang Lemacher. I'm a massive, massive fan of Michael Schumacher, so Lemacher is very, very easy to pronounce. Uh, Wolfgang, thank, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's my pleasure, Jason. It's good to speak to you again. Awesome. Thank you so much. And earlier this year, oh my God, what year it's been. We, we met in Davos and I spoke to you about the book that I'm writing and you were kind enough to offer to, to preface it if necessary. Uh, and you gave me some very important moral support. Actually, that, that's kind of led to a lot of development this year for us around the design company, both book and philosophy and this podcast, actually. So it's magnificent to have you uh, on with us. Just, just tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days, because you're a complex character. You've written a whole bunch of books about uh, supply chain and some, some of the stuff around circular economy as well. But what, what consumes your time most of the time these days? With pleasure, Jason. And I'm, I'm loyal to, uh, to my passions, in fact. So uh, I'm a, a board member, an executive advisor, and a, and a business angel, but that's the, the formal headline. I'm still working very much in the supply chain space. I have a portfolio of uh, startups. I'm supporting in their growth efforts and uh, their current challenges during uh, COVID-19. Then I'm planning uh, to uh, launch a new book on circular economy, end of the year. And I hope it will also give a, uh, a uh, possibility to write an English version because I do that in German. I'm also, and I will speak maybe a bit later about that, thinking about setting up a community around the circular economy concept which I call the seven chapters of circularity. Oh, and I'm, yes. And I'm um, also uh, supporting, of course, my clients uh, in those days and in building excellent enterprises. Awesome. I think one of the core focuses for us today will be to kind of try and outline some sort of or get out of your head because we're literally looking to you know get as much of your wisdom down on on record uh around the the new normal the post-pandemic world and what might be happening and we'll use as usual the design company model here to to run through some of the questions which hopefully will tease out of you some of that wisdom so so i'll go with straight with the purpose thing and the first question is really, what's the purpose of companies in post-pandemic world, in your opinion? Is there a change there? And, and if so, what, what is that? What is that purpose? What should companies be focusing on, really? Let's start with the big, big, big topic, which is purpose. Because we are living in, a, in times of... Uh, a number of crises. We have the pandemic, which is a health crisis. Uh, we have uh, struggles in leadership. We have struggles in uh, getting the global governance right. And, and we have also, I think, a challenge to uh, get our minds and actions around purpose. 
And for me, purpose uh, can be summarized in, in one word, and that word is responsibility. In August 2019, 181 company CEOs got together to talk about the role and purpose of companies, and they launched that statement of the business roundtable, which was the statement of the purpose of a co corporation. And this statement in 2019 was different from the group's long-standing opinion, which was centered around shareholders, which was, uh, in fact, saying that corporates exist principally to serve their, share, their, their shareholders. And now they expanded that model to the stakeholder. And now there, there is written and there is a commitment to serve all the stakeholders, to be responsible towards employees, customers, suppliers, and local communities. I think that's a very important move and we need to follow how they, as they follow that through. And I personally believe as a former CEO that the responsibility of every CEO is to ensure that profitability is achieved in an ethical and environmentally friendly manner. And it should ensure the best outcomes of or for all stakeholders. Uh, COVID-19 should, from my perspective, have reinforced that idea because it is a great moment of solidarity as the consequence of a moment of human tragedy. So what should companies concretely do in the post-19 um, world? I, I think following the, this, this purpose concept, it is about protecting the employees, but not only against threats resulting from pandemics, but all dangers that are out there. It should have been anyway uh, a natural thing to do. And if I look at most companies, they are thinking employee first. Then there are the suppliers and there are employees in the supplier base and there are touch points. So companies had, have to look at these touch points. And in a COVID-19 world, I think companies need to prepare the ecosystems of the range of suppliers uh, down to their manufacturing sides, down to the distributors, down to the, the, the consumers in a way that nobody is at risk. And this means also that they ensure that they can continue operating because since the beginning of the crisis, I have made the point that we have to deal with this pandemic in a smart way and keep borders open, keep the goods flowing, ensure that companies can operate during this pandemic. Because otherwise, the economic repercussions will hit us very hard. And in the era of uh, post-19, I think these efforts should increase. And that, that encompasses a lot of different things. It, it is about 
policies and procedures. It is about the way we design our processes in factories. It is digitization, which makes things more transparent and allows us to better collaborate. And that is followed by exchange of data. It is about having the infrastructure in place. And of course, that should all be part of the post-COVID-19 review of each and every company. Uh, so Wolfgang, I really appreciate what you said, which is this trend that we're seeing away from, I mean, profitability is still important, but a pure focus and shareholders only and whatever is legal without any personal sense of morality to more of a system where we're taking into account the entire ecosystem and really considering these various needs. There is a saying I love, which is that COVID-19 has been the best chief digital officer <laughs> because we've made jumps in working practices of like three to five years in the space of just a couple of weeks. So what I'd like to ask you then is, you know, what are some specific changes that you are seeing that people will be uh, having to get, will be getting used to? First, I like this sentence of the, the chief uh, digital officer. It could also be the chief innovation officer Certainly. because <laughs> prices, prices are catalysts for change, for innovation. Um, and it should also be the chief technology officer because without the right technology, uh, we will have uh, difficulties with our digital tools. And we see also uh, in the current situation that our digital infrastructure, in fact, is struggling. But if it comes to, to changes, I, I'm really torn between different views. On the one hand, we hear a lot about the new normal, which Jason mentioned at the beginning. On the other hand, I'm living in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has never seen a real uh, lockdown. We have 1,200 infected and suffered about, uh, if I'm right, seven deaths. And people all wear masks. They are not a handshaking society, so they keep their distance. Uh, restaurants and bars are open, bands are playing again. So things are normal. And people tell me here, often when people speak about the new normal, what's the new normal? Because life is as it was before. And if they go back about a decade, they will say at least it is as, um, as uh, much a, a limited time as it was during SARS. But what I'm saying is it probably depends uh, where, where people live and how the governments manage their, their situation. So there is no uh, plain vanilla answer to that. But uh, we can definitely say that we have seen in the last five months uh, the digital movement advancing in a way or to, ex to an extent I had expected to see over the next five years. And that relates to your, your comment. And um, when I think about that, what this uh, entails is, for example, the working from home. Without digital, without, without digital tools, we would have never been able to sustain this back office work as we did now. 
and this has an impact. So, and this does not have an impact in the context of um, business contingency planning, but because working from home brought productivity gains. There are different studies and different numbers, but we are talking about a few weeks per year, which we got more because of increased productivity. And there is also that point of digital natives that like this, this uh, work based on digital tool. There's also the fact that, and a Japanese studies found out, that one out of four who had now the experience of teleworking, they don't want to live in the cities anymore. They want to use that to stay remotely and move to the countryside. So we will see things in that space. We will see also changes in the factories themselves. And this because we have struggled a little bit with the physical distancing requirements in the production. So what I heard from the companies I have been speaking to is that we lost 25% of productivity due to physical distancing in the factories. And this is, just, uh, this is just based on a few data points. There might be people managed differently or at different circumstances with different results. But what we will see is probably we will see more computer vision and computer vision, which is the combination of cameras and artificial intelligence allows us to map and to understand the realities are at the, on the production lines. And this allows us to redesign our processes. And I think we will, we will see that. We will also see um, an increase in automation. For example, uh, in the area of inventory management. So managing inventories remotely, using sensors and and communication, plat uh, communication architectures and platforms to know what is happening there and to spare us the time to go there and do this uh, uh, cumbersome counts. Um, yes, it will help uh, with the next pandemic, which I hope will not come, but the possibility is there. But it has also other upsides, and this is the case for almost all the larger measures uh, which help us to protect ourselves against um, uh, shocks and disruptions and pandemics. Um, so the, the gain of uh, remote um, inventory management is that we know what are the goods that are selling quickly? What are the goods that are selling slowly and what are the goods that don't sell at all? And that helps us to stimulate demand, to drive demand, because we, we know the trends um, in the market. That helps us to plan transport and logistics capacity and to optimize it and to plan our manufacturing. Uh, so there, that is another, I think, area where I see um, a lot of, uh, um, <clears throat> let's say advancements. And what, what is also a space people will, will uh, see changes and that results from uh, what I said before is the office. 
So I, I think about uh, the new office, um, office as we knew it uh, yesterday might not exist uh, in 10 years. It will take some time. And this because of the remote working, the remote management, the digital advancements, uh, the increasing number of mobile capabilities. Um, what we will see in the office post uh, uh, COVID-19 is that people will be hesitant to go into a crowded elevator. But I can tell you in, in Hong Kong, this will be difficult because people work in high rises and the ICC is the highest with uh, its 108 uh, stories. So using the stairs will be a bit uh, uh, a longer story. But, uh, but uh, I think that, um, that this whole definition around offices and how often do we really meet, uh, how much face-to-face um, -face, uh, interactions we will need will be a big topic. And not only within the organization, but also um, in designing our future sales forces. Mm. Yes, uh, having written the master's degree thesis on managing virtual teams in completely virtual environments 20 years ago, this whole kind of virtual teamwork change was about 20 years too late uh, in, in my expectations, but hey, it's um, happening now, finally. So how do you see systems uh, readapting to this post-pandemic circumstances? What are the core systemic changes that you see having to be ado ado adopted and adapted in the companies you know, going forward? I touched already on, on different spaces, right? And when we talk about systems, that's the system of remote operating. Uh, remote operating will, uh, be a, a board topic will be a big thing because uh, it has so many advantages uh, which I explained before but it comes also with a with a cost and uh, one cost is uh, the increasing cyber risk so we need to factor that in something I didn't speak before about um, in 2018 a single malware attack costed an organization about $2.6 million, uh, while ransomware stood at 646,000, which was uh, a 21% increase compared to 2017. So the, the cyber risk is increasing and it's much harder to protect a distributed digital architecture and environment than a, an office um, system. So, but that, that is a system, probably for me, the, the major systemic change. When it comes to operating systems, so what is the, um, in terms of the, the classical supply chain um, from, let's say, the, uh, I, I call it usually the, the process from uh, design to repurposing, but here I'm thinking more about the real physical work of, of uh, suppliers, um, assemblers and uh, the logistics part. Uh, we will see more uh, remote work there as well and remote controlling, uh, but we will also see more transparency in that field. So there, the big 
big change is not remote, the big change will be transparent, will be data, will be digitization at its best, which is the replica of everything which is happening in the, in the physical world, world reproduced in the digital space. And we will see this materializing in fields like asset tracking, shipment monitoring, inventory monitoring, etc. So that will be um, a big part. Linked to this is uh, the automation. Um, robots don't get infected, but also robotics was a trend before uh, COVID-19. But we will see this whole space being much more uh, transparent and automated in the future. A third system is more driven by the consumer behavior and consumer preferences, which is the system of e-commerce. COVID-19 has also been the best friend of the chief e-commerce officer because online shopping was for many the only way to get their supplies. And I remember when I, uh, uh, traveled a bit during the COVID-19 times and came back to Hong Kong and they asked me to, uh, to do my self-quarantine. Um, I asked the first time, I said, and how do I uh, uh, get my food? And they said, it's very simple, online. And uh, that, the, this is the, the biggest story on online is to get the things you need. Um, but in general, I think that when I talked about this five-year leap we made, uh, many people who were not very keen to use uh, online services uh, had now no choice. And I also see from many reactions that people like it. So whatever company you may be, you may run, it is to be reviewed in light of the future is e-commerce. And what does that mean for my operating system? What does it mean for my customer interfaces? What does that mean for my products, my value propositions, et cetera, et cetera. So that's uh, another, another system. And, and, and if you want to call it a system, but I think the, the immune system, usually I use this in a different, um, in a different context, but here I talk about the immune system of a company, of a society, of an economy to in fact um, uh, help you to continue operating during such a crisis will be impacted. So contingency planning, constant monitoring, 24 seven uh, supplier monitoring, uh, data and, and analytics, all in the context of ensuring that a company can absorb whatever shock may occur. This could be a natural disaster, this could be a strike, this could be a man-made disaster, this could be a pandemic. So just one um, sort of subset question around the systems is, and, and it's you, you mentioned immune system, but what about this sort of cognition system for the company where you know if a company has let's say thousand employees and they're all predominantly or, or all of them are working virtually uh, 
there isn't really a sense of that kind of what we called when I was writing the master's degree thesis, water cooler moments where people stand around and just chit chat uh, to each other and exchange ideas in a free flowing way. So with the design company software, what we've done is created software that constantly polls all the employees in the company to ask them, what do they think are the ways in which system can be improved? What can be done for people? How we can grow? How can we save some money for the company and so on? What do you see in that, in that realm of, of that sort of cognition system for the company that can get the actual ideas and thoughts from employees? Do you see any movements there? I believe we need some innovation in that space. Um, do I, I see currently companies wrestling with that question. Mm. But when we speak about working from home, then the question is how much working from home and who can be 100% working from home or 99. Uh, or what I mean maybe even more is almost independently detached like a customer service agent. Um, I think he is he, pulled in probably in the moment you mentioned to remind him that he can uh, suggest some, some improvements and gives a feedback, etc. cetera. Um, but uh, that's a function which can be very, operate very autonomous, like an accountant, the same thing. Um, and of course, with these functions, we have another challenge that because they are uh, so standardized an accountant and the customer service that um, a lot of that will be robotized. But I, I think that uh, what I'm describing here is the discussion we will have, the discussion around um, the, not only the role, but where that role sits uh, within the new office context and definition. And with that comes uh, the, uh, the traditional challenge, which is the leadership challenge. Because I don't believe that it's that much a situational or technological challenge, but a leadership challenge. <clears throat> Those leaders who manage to bond with their teams and who like bonding with their teams and bonding in a productive way, right? In a creative way, in an innovative way. Um, I think they will be able to find in whatever context you give them a way to run that team successfully. But I, I think it is um, a, a topic to work on and, and maybe you should write a new book on this. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be glad to know that Design Company book is all about this. <laughs> uh. Nice one. Um, so I'd actually like to bounce off of that. Wolfgang, you've mentioned a number of areas, right? And I love kind of the overview and the breadth of expertise you have, your data analysis, commoditization of labor, robotization. Um, you mentioned something about leaders, right? So leaders, you know, being able to adapt to whatever the circumstances are. A lot of what I've seen when we talk about innovation, and this leads into the next question, is not really so much innovation as it is just taking things we already do and just doing them online. But actually, you know, if you look at like the distribution of technology, of access to digital tools, so I'll give you an example. Right now, uh, we're opening up a, a significant African country 
And I'm able to do that via WhatsApp. Like I can do it for 10, one ten thousandth of the capital cost that a corporate might invest to get into that country, right? So what I want to ask you is now that we're in this new paradigm, now that we're in 2020, that digital is everywhere, what kind of innovations can we actually see? And when I say innovations, I mean really saying, okay, let's take everything from first principles. Let's take all the people, tools, systems, and then let's do things in a completely new way, not for the novelty factor, but because there's a new paradigm and a new 10x better way to do things. And I do understand that in some areas, traditions are very good and they're very useful to have. But I'm saying other particular areas where we can really just like move to a significantly new level. It's a good question and it builds on what we discussed before. First, I would like to, to react to the example you just presented. This is the setup of something far away remotely. Uh, it's a very intriguing idea and uh, possibly it works. What we don't know is what will happen along the way. So I'm, I have been in, in, this, in the era of or in the area of building partnerships for a long part of my life. And we made our, our judgment call based on personal contact, based on off-the-record conversations, informal conversations. Uh, they are also possible in the new environment, but I think it's a bit harder to do so. So there is a filtering out which reduces our sensing capability. So there is clearly innovative potential in the area I mentioned before, the new office, the totally new office. Virtual offices, virtual workplaces, the idea is with us for a long time, but now we really have that. And then we have the redefinition of our homes or wherever we want to be. And that's a, a, new, a new space where we innovate as employees, as citizens, as consumers. So I see that as the major, major space of innovation. Um, and, and this is new. For me, innovation is something new, something that works, and something that is implemented. So, and, and th this all holds water when we talk about um, the new life at home. And I have to say that I, I'm, I have never been in my life that much as home as, as today. Um, then, then where I see the, the innovation which is needed and which is unfortunately often lagging is that leadership innovation. So what leadership tools do we need to navigate that new world? And I haven't heard even about that debate. Uh, it, is, it is as often just forgotten. The people are sent home, they are left on their own, they, they find their way, and we are not really thinking about what does that mean for leadership? What does my stakeholder approach to leadership and to purpose, what does that mean? How does that translate 
into how I manage the people because the people at home have new challenges. Some suffer mental challenges, others suffer workload challenges. The, the gain in productivity comes with a drain for the employees, right? So what does that mean? How do we live up to that, right? There are, there are certainly some of the, of the big consultancy firm in that space that point towards the, the challenges we see. But um, I, uh, I think that's definitely a debate which needs to be expanded. And uh, innovation, uh, you could also think about innovation in the way societies are built. It's not all about companies. When I spoke about the Japanese study, um, this could be the first time where we really can move people out of the urban areas. We know that urbanization is probably the mega trend of the last hundred years. So maybe we can reverse this, which would help us uh, a lot, I think, in, in because our cities, cities just become unmanageable. So these are the areas where, where I see really new things, things that can work and things that can, can be implemented. In terms of the supply chain, which is my passion, uh, the, the biggest innovation which we need there is the, uh, the data integration. And COVID-19 with the whole discussion around PPE, uh, which I think is very emotional and very political, uh, has nevertheless shown that we have little uh, visibility on where the production capacities in fact are. And we could also see innovation in the contingency planning space where people say, why don't we build a global digital marketplace for essential goods so that everybody can post what, what he has or she has and and people can pick it up where they need it. So these are some ideas which come to my mind uh, when uh, thinking about that question. Right, so we move on to products and um, similarly thinking, and one of the things that you mentioned here was around engagement between people and effectively the fact that when we're talking like this through the screen, so to speak, a lot of the stuff is screened off, okay? Uh, and, and, and then how do we create that contact and that rapport with other people, the bond, as you said? Uh, we kind of have to turn into Mr. James Bond, <laughs> uh, 007, to really understand what people are thinking and how they're feeling and what their well-being is. But so how do you see product design evolving to cater to the new world? And perhaps we can, you know, slant this a little bit here to focus perhaps on some of the well-being aspects of the employees and customers, considering that people will have a lot less physical touch going forward, it looks like. Yeah, and it's, of course, the continuation of, of what we have spoken about before, because we need products that are fit for this new definition of, of home, the, the working from home. And I, I feel already uh, that I'm a bit repetitive, but it's just logical that products need to be defined in a way that uh, they protect the consumer and help them to uh, be productive and happy 
uh, in the new environment. Um, we will see a lot of new online products, uh, clearly with the trend towards more e-commerce and online services, uh, there it will be a space which <clears throat> um, will see a lot of innovation. But coming to, or taking it to a different level, because what COVID-19 also has shown us that our modern life and our civilization hits some limitations and some barriers. And these may, we may not be able to overcome by just doing more of what we have done in the past. And what I'm pointing towards is that we need to create products which are harmless and helpful for the entire society. And this is the circular economy concept. So I think that this is a moment to switch gears and to make circular economy, <clears throat> which is not a well understood concept in fact. So which is the concept of building products which can be at the end of every use cycle be reused either as a product or as a part or particle without creating any or little harm to us and the planet. And that means uh, we need to be educated in the materials we use, in how we stick <clears throat> the materials together. Because very often the materials are not harmful, but the glue we are using is. And even though we, we were able to reuse the parts, we cannot because they are stick together and became toxic. So it is, it is a real design question, a design of a new type of products, but also the design of a new way of manufacturing because we are creating harm in manufacturing itself. We are, and it includes, of course, decarbonization of the supply chain. So I think that uh, the, the design effort should go into that point and based on the idea that we are facing the sixth extinction and the uh, collapse of biodiversity in fact increased the likelihood of zoonotic viruses to make the leap. So we need to see that, that context and then take that into our design thinking and design work. Fair enough. So Wolfgang, you mentioned then we really need to reconsider how we design our products, how we approach things we're introducing. And I love this very simple, but I think holistic definition of circular economy, which is building and consuming stuff that then goes back into the system instead of just this one-way uh, one destruction of our natural resources. So let's just move on to the next theme, money, right? Uh, and in that respect, what do you think are the money matters which we really need to take care of? Um, and in particular, you know, in terms of investing and funding companies that will help us deal with this new product and economic paradigm. Yeah, first, I like, to, I like your comment on system. Bring it back into the system. 
<laughs> and current systems are also not ready to to take it back. It's about nine percent of all what we take out and use we bring back. So that's very little. There's a lot of waste. So in fact, the new product is the new system, and that makes it a bit complex. Mm -hmm. But as with everything, we have to build it step by step. So when I think about the money matter and see that that responsibility and see the opportunity also to build a new economy, then my only wish is that the capital which we mobilize now is steered into a sustainable direction, which means that we use COVID-19 as the juncture, as the new beginning to build a different economy. And I see this happening in some countries. So I see it happening with uh, the uh, rescue package in France for KLL, KLM uh, France, which is about 7 billion from the French side and 3 billion from the, from the Dutch side. But the rescue package is linked to sustainable uh, policies. So this is the opportunity we are having. I see the uh, new, do, new um, Green Deal from the EU. I see their circular economy effort where the EU focuses on exactly the, the critical and vital steps to build a new economy. So the beginnings are there. I, I uh, hope that we have uh, the same acceleration we see in, in the digital space, also in the circular economy space, which could in fact be the fifth industrial revolution. Uh, something I was, I was very much thinking about in the last five months. And it is, it is in fact building on, to a certain extent, on the fourth industrial revolution. The fourth industrial revolution is about the convergence of technology. It's about the accelerated development of technologies which then result in more and more highly sophisticated, highly performance, uh, high, highly performant bundles of solutions. And there is a vision in me which says that if we are able to dematerialize and decouple ourselves from a large part of the physical world, the physical economy, and put that into the digital space, then that's a good thing. We have to solve the energy challenge, so use renewable energy. But if we replace the use of physical resources with the use of digital products, I think we can, we can spare the planet a lot of pain. So what that means in practical terms is <clears throat> we can replace the visit to the bank where we have to go, where we have to use our car, a public transport by e-banking. We can replace the, the walk to the shopping mall or the drive to the shopping mall by e-commerce provided then we can optimize the delivery at home. We can replace 
the experience of tourism, at least to, to a certain extent, by virtual journeys. And I think the whole gaming trend shows that that's definitely an option. Uh, I still believe that meeting people, and I, that's, I'm saying that not to come across as a, the, the digital only guy, but I, I believe that people have to meet, that people have to interact, that people have to travel, otherwise we will not be able to maintain world peace. Uh, it's a belief I have. Um, but beyond all that beautiful digital world, we need our restaurants, we need our pubs, we need nature for recreation. And that allows us probably to re-expand nature because we are now much more digital in our smaller homes and not creating that much waste and emissions. Uh, it sounds a bit like science fiction, but I think we are at the beginning to grasp what the fourth industrial revolution can bring us. And I think this is worth uh, exploring to uh, make best use of, of what we have created so far. So uh, just sticking to the notion of, of money, do you see uh, changes happening in the underpinning nature of money? Obviously, there's been a lot of printing of new money and various kind of quantitative easings and a lot more chatter around cryptocurrencies from central banks. But we've also got the situation that someone like Warren Buffett is just sitting on the stockpile of money that he's still not invested into any shares. He's still choosing to sit on the cash. So are there any particular changes that you see happening around perhaps getting some of those people who've stockpiled cash that otherwise is being printed in the sort of digisphere, so to speak, but there seems to be lots of people who don't have access to money that have might have great ideas from the ground up, but no access to money. And then a fewer people who have stockpiles of money with no idea where to put it on the grand scale. How can that be somehow post-pandemically um, balanced out in a way that maybe still helps the people with lots of money to make more, but also leverages and integrates the people, so, so to speak, downstream into that into that system. It comes back to my to my first comment. It's about how the money is channeled. Um, we cannot force people, let's say, to to invest and to spend the money. I think the 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 instruments have been developed. They're used, which is uh, negative interest rates and and all the the things we all well know. Um, but now we are in a situation where a lot of money is printed, whether it's digitally printed or physically printed. Um, it's a question how to channel it. And do I see a change? Um, unfortunately, I don't. I see more willingness from the public sector side to drive sustainable projects in uh, some uh, regions of the world. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, as a business angel, um, I have to say it's very, very hard to get any kind of funding. So we are, we are, we are able to, 
to survive. Um, we do what we have to do. There is some bridge funding, but I can't say that, and I have startups, I'm working with startups all over the world, whether it's Asia, Europe, the US, at least the three big platforms, and nowhere uh, the state has come and said, okay, we have this golden opportunity and we want to support <clears throat> a sustainable business. We know you are, you are there and here is the support. There was some um, in the US um, to uh, maintain payroll and these kind of things, but there is no systemic structured approach to deploying money in a different way. So maybe it's a bit unfair to all the good efforts, which I have mentioned before, but they are comparably small in, in comparison to, let's say the old machine, which is still oiled by the old money. And my biggest concern is that once things get clearer and investors get more comfortable, uh, they might invest in things I don't like to see, right? To, to be rescued. I'm not even talking about zombie enterprises. I'm talking about more destructive uh, uh, enterprises, which are uh, our, our um, future generation will struggle with, right? Um, so don't know whether this explains explains it clearly, but I think the message is there. There are some good intentions with some good programs, um, but there is a high risk that uh, we are throwing money uh, after the wrong uh, things. What, what, so, are, what are the zombie enterprises? What do you mean by zombie enterprises? Zombie enterprises are enterprises that uh, cannot survive. Uh -huh. But they get they get the money from somewhere, usually subsidies or a rescue package, uh, to be able to sustain. Okay. I'd just like to to bounce off of one comment you made, Wolfgang. Uh, actually, we were talking earlier about innovation, the traditional things that are still good. I think if you yourself, you know, you're quite experienced. If you look back over your career, um, I think you might find, and please tell me if I'm wrong, well, that the biggest initiatives or things that happened or you know, really major moves forward, right? Beyond just usual business as usual, were when you had people around you bringing you quality information flow. So in the financial sector, this is what we call insider trading. Obviously, in the normal business world, this is just being surrounded by smart people with access to diverse information flow. And so if we're talking about the subject of money, um, I'd love your comments on this. What I'm seeing is that wealth, you know, it's obviously important to have, you know, a couple hundred mil, you know, stashed away always helps. But I think what we, if we're really looking at wealth now in 2020, it really is about the quantity and quality and curation of information flow that's coming to you, not just from systems and software, but from the people around you. So I mean, I look at it right now, right? Like this is, a, you know, shitty phone, whatever. But what's quite interesting is that on this phone, in one day, I'm speaking with people in like four different continents, and getting this information flow and like, doing things that other people my age who are maybe making 100k in investment bank or in consulting but not having that same information flow and so for me really what i'm seeing as wealth in this new age is this ability to connect with people have this private intel ahead of the market and then take action on that in agile fashion and i think that's 
what the real asset is over like cars or house or like a big ass office. Although it's quite nice, obviously, um, you know. Anyway, that, that, that's my idea on the area. I'd love to hear your thoughts. My thought, uh, some immediate reactions. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, this is uh, amazing and makes, makes market entries, makes disruption, makes growth, uh, everything possible. Nevertheless, you need a base capital, base capitalization to run. And even to get that is hard. And uh, good innovations eat also a good chunk of money. Um, so especially when you talk about assets. SaaS might be a bit of a different story. Nevertheless, you need probably some good engineers, data scientists, etc., And they, they need also to make a living. So absolutely, there is a, a very dry reality behind that. Another thing which comes to my mind when I hear this, um, and I believe in the world of abundance. So I'm not a believer in, in limitations. Uh, I, I, I can't agree more uh, to your vision. I, I have everything uh, I need. And you spoke about uh, the, 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 the groundbreaking innovations, the most groundbreaking innovation of all times um, was probably the smartphone, right? Or the computer before, because at the end it is an evolution. But these are definitely the smartphone is, is something which has changed the world forever and we will never get back uh, unless there is a big, big shock. Um, so, so that's something. Another point I want to, to raise here, and that's a bit more a, a uh, just an alert that 50% of the world population has no access to the internet. That means the one side is dashing ahead in a way we have never seen in human history, whereas the other half has not even a, a chance to participate and an idea of what is happening. So that's also, I think, a point of responsibility so if we talk about responsibility and leadership, I think the responsibility is to work and to eliminate that work on and eliminate that divide. And this is one of the key objectives. The global governance community, which in fact not, is not, now non-existing, right? We are in a multilateral world and we should come back to a much more collaborative uh, layer at least at the, at the top, but that is the mission they would have. We need to, to eliminate that divide and we need to drive digitization because that will have so many positive side effects and, and give so much room also for entrepreneurship, for, for innovation, for new products, for growth, etc. Okay, so um, we come to the growth um, section and we've you know this is there's a circular nature to this model here that you know we start with purpose go through people systems innovation products mining growth and it goes back into people but how can companies grow in the post-pandemic world and and perhaps tell us about the kind of opportunities that you are yourself getting involved with and maybe investing into you know based of course on your 
experience, insight, and 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 thinking really going forward. I like that idea that we are now back to people. <clears throat> and uh, when I think about growth, what makes growth happen, it's only people. There is no growth with people without people. There is no mm -hmm. growth. Mm. Uh, yeah. without great ideas there is no growth without discipline and this all is is around people and great teams and that's in fact the ultimate capital <clears throat> we are having on this planet is the capabilities of of uh, the people our own capabilities and put that at service put that uh in uh, in the context of of global responsibility but um to be much more practical and and based on my experiences there are two things which uh which helps you to grow the one is uh operational excellence so be better than uh anybody else um so if you make ice cream make the best time um if your delivery company be on time all the time in full right and you can get close to that uh, and the second one is innovation because um, what what makes you growing today might not make you grow tomorrow so this is a very simple concept I have in mind so I have a few very simple com concepts which helped me to navigate my life of of business which was demand and supply and which was operational excellence and innovation and the, to, to elaborate a bit on, on innovation, what always strikes me is uh, what this acceleration we spoke about uh, brings in terms of, of challenges as well. In 1958, the average lifespan of the companies listed in Standard and, and Poor's 500 was 61 years. And you have probably heard that. You did probably hear that before. And today that's number, that number is down to 18, from 61 years to 18 years average lifespan. There are studies which say that if you take all companies, the average life is around 10 years before a company is acquired, merged, or liquidated. So if you want to uh, survive in that environment, don't be average, but be innovative as a, as a conclusion on this. What are the businesses I'm, I'm investing in? Um, I, again, I go with my passion. So if I meet great people, um, I, that in my view are capable to do great things, uh, that's already a good beginning. Then there is, what is this business about? What does it do in the context of, let's say, my responsibility? Will it improve visibility in supply chain? Will it reduce plastic waste? Will it help the fashion industry uh, to become more sustainable and more circular? And uh, these are very concrete uh, companies I'm talking uh, about here, which are the companies I'm working with, um, or is there a new transportation mode out there which helps us 
to be faster, safer, and cleaner. So these are the, the areas I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on. So I work with uh, um, Hyperloop transportation technologies. So as a new transport mode, I work with um, uh, Pentatonic, which is a <clears throat> circular design company. Um, so design and manufacturer uh, in the B2B and the B2C space. So they are working exactly on the topics uh, we discussed before. And then I, I work with uh, Rombi, which is a um, asset tracking and shipment monitoring company that improves, improves visibility across the supply networks. Uh, these are these are the, the topics I'm passionate about. I focus on everything supply chain, but supply chain is the economy because the economy is a supply chain. So it's, it's a very big field. Um, it is for me important that uh, we can contribute uh, to in fact drive the transition from the old economy to the new economy, which is an economy which is more transparent, which is cleaner, um, which is more responsible. And just to bounce back off of that, Wolfgang, I love what you said. It's up to us to make that change. I see, the, uh, actually, five, ten years ago, I wanted to go into politics, but then I realized the reality of life. To change things, you need to have money, power, authority, and ability to take decisions. And unfortunately, when you're in politics, you get killed by consensus. So if we're going to see a change, it's going to be, you know, purposeful leaders actually leading companies, making the right moves, and then having this more responsibility in the business decisions they take. So I love your final message, which is a message of personal responsibility instead of complaining about the government. Yeah, and maybe building on this, or not maybe, I wish to build this to make the point that we talk about companies, but what we should talk about are the leaders of these companies because they decide how they run it and how and the great leaders, they can manage the, the pressures, the interest, also the ambitions, the desires, the dreams, which come from all these parties within and from the outside. That's fantastic. One thing that also came to me as you were talking about working from home and coming back home and redesigning the home, there is an element of kind of almost spiritual undertone there that like if we come back to our own personal purpose as to what is the why am i doing anything really in life and then really work on redesigning ourselves individually maybe using something like designed company model which works for individuals too we can actually then add more value to companies and work across multiple companies and add more value across multiple ventures uh, with, with it making a lot more purposeful sense and, and really being sustainable in that true sense from first principles. So, so that's something that kind of just resonated on, on, on another level. So, so that working from home, it's like working from your inner self, your inner space that really means something and that um, can leave a legacy afterwards. Uh, Wolfgang, thank you so much for this conversation. I really, really appreciate you coming on and giving us so much of your time. Is there any particular thing that you would like to, you know, invite people to check out or 
you know, tell us maybe some of the snippets of your up and coming book or, you know, when that might be out and, and kind of any kind of shout outs as they would say you would like to make. Jason, I like very much your picture of bringing ourselves home as a goal or the ultimate goal in life, right? Finding ourselves uh, in the best space within the, the community and the system uh, that has brought us out and up and uh, will absorb us uh, when we are gone. Um, and uh, I think if we do that, if we go home, then uh, we will also leave the legacy and leave some traces and uh, have probably or hopefully done more good than, than damage. And in this sense, I, I would like to, to pass that message to uh, look up, but it's not life yet, but um, uh, will be soon. I would like to launch it on the 7th of July. It will be a soft launch, but that's the moment where the seven chapters of circularity come to life, which is uh, the uh, community of like-minded people around the concept of a regenerative economy and society. And uh, the book, in fact, is also about that. And as a final anecdote, I did not have in mind to create a community. But when I was sitting there and, and thinking about the book, I said, oh, it's another book. I've contributed to 10 and wrote over 100 articles. And um, I, I think I, I contributed in some way. But uh, when also the person who helps me with this said, what about influencers and should we talk to them? And then I said, why don't we create a community and a community of impact? and see whether we get some traction there. So that's the, the final message is that there is something out, but as I, I think we, every one of us can contribute in one way, you can, con, you can uh, join the community, but you can also launch your own community and follow your own passion and drive your own enterprise and your own dream. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you said it. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will just add uh, one final thing about what you said, Wolfgang. You know, um, I really appreciate the fact that you've not just written a book, but you're also mobilizing a community and having people that are actually doing real, real world uh, impactful things, right? Because here in France, we have an unfortunate problem where the only people you see in media that are people that have written a book, that have some sort of authority, but the only thing they do is talk, talk, talk and complain. So I really have a lot of respect for people. They're not just like take the time to write the book, but then go out and actually, you know, mobilize economic powers and community to have a real world impact. Because, you know, life is not going to move forward with a bunch of intellectuals having a debate on a TV book. Mohammed, but in the defense of the intellectuals, <laughs> it took me also some, dec some decades to, to get to that point. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm sure there's some very good ones amongst them. I'm just talking about a very French problem, but you know, you do need people from all sides of the table. Uh, as Jason likes to say, you know, uh, philosophy without action is useless and action without philosophy is dangerous. 
So we <laughs> yeah. need a balance between those two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward, Wolfgang, to, to both that launch in 7th of July, as well as the book and kind of new things that you're going to, going to be bringing out. Uh, let's, let's keep in touch. And thank you so much for, uh, for joining the podcast and, uh, you know, being in our, in our circle. <laughs> thank you, Jason, for, for yeah, guiding me through that very, <laughs> uh, very exciting, interesting conversation. Thank you so much. All the best. <laughs>